Our first reading comes from the Epistle to the Romans, the third chapter. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Through the law and the prophets bear though the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 8th chapter. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham, and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen. A few words from the gospel lesson that Logan read just a few moments ago. Logan's our first-year field worker from the seminary. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the Son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Many centuries ago in Egypt, there was a man by the name of Antony. And Antony decided to really devote his life to serving God, hearing his word and prayer. He lived by himself out in the wilderness and became a very popular person. 
Many people admired him for the way he was living his faith, and he was so admired by so many people, in fact, that one day the emperor of the Roman Empire at that time wrote a letter to him. All of his friends were pretty excited and impressed and, uh, you know, congratulated him for receiving a letter from the emperor. But Anthony wasn't so impressed. Instead, he said, Do not be astonished if the emperor writes to us, for he is a man. But rather wonder that God wrote the law for men and has spoken to us through his own son. The law and the gospel. This is the message tonight that shows us these are the keys of our real freedom, the freedom that we really need, a freedom from the bondage of sin. In John chapter 1, John tells us that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. This has been the pattern we see in the Bible and throughout all the world. There's an organization called the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Their whole goal is to get rid of religion wherever they see it. And they encourage their members to take stickers with them when they go on vacations and when they stay at hotels. And, uh, you know, a lot of hotels will have a Gideon-placed Bible uh, somewhere in the hotel room. And they directed their followers to place those stickers inside the cover or on the cover of the Bible. The sticker said, warning, literal belief in this book may endanger your life and health. A college professor wrote a very important article in which he said, listen closely to this, it is morally unfair to make the assumption regarding the absolute truth of the Bible. I want you to notice that he's not just disagreeing. He's not just saying, I don't think the Bible's the truth. He says it's morally unfair to say so, which is really proving something else, that he's trying to preach his own religion instead of anybody else's. And this is the problem with the world. This is why the world, most of it, rejected Jesus in his own time and why there's so much rejection of Jesus today and why we need to be concerned about that because of the effect that that has on us. People stubbornly think and presume basically that they are a God unto themselves. And when you think that way, you don't need another God. In fact, if there is one who comes in to your life and claims to be the one true God, there's going to be a problem. For our part, because I don't think anybody in the room here tonight believes that at all, but the fact that we live in a world where so many do believe that, it has an effect on us. It rubs off on us. And I think the way it rubs off on us so much is in the way of complacency. And so we just get caught up by so many things in the world and we don't really want to come to church every Sunday. Uh, we don't want to pray every day. It's very easy to find ourselves living our lives day after day doing all sorts of things but slowly being turned away from God. I remember uh, quite a few years ago I had the opportunity to go on a vacation in Michigan 
And uh, the place where we stayed, they had a kayak, and it was my first time to try to go out on a kayak. And Lake Michigan that day had some pretty decent waves. And, uh, uh, and I knew, I knew, you know, if you're going to ride or in a kayak in waves, you need to keep it facing into the waves, penetrating those waves. But for the heck of it, I just wanted to see what would happen if I turned the kayak sideways. And I was amazed, boom, how fast it capsized, and I was underwater. And then I thought I could do the kayak thing too, you know, like spin all the way around, which I realize is a little harder than you think it is. But this is our problem as Christians. The world rejects God, and, and, and we live in that world. And, and, you know, we watch movies, for example, where there's no mention at all about God. That's becoming more and more prominent. And we have friends, like, clueless about God. And, and then we also have a world that often doesn't want us to talk about God. I'll get to more on that later. But that just tends to turn our kayak kind of turn it away from God and we're not pointed into those waves anymore and if that keeps happening eventually our boat is going to be capsized and so this is why we need to realize what God has given to us in the law and the gospel and in Christ in the forgiveness of our sins this is our freedom from the slavery of sin as we just sang in that beautiful hymn fast bound in Satan's chains I lie that is the way all of us are in the world before we come to Christ. Luther, you see, in his day had been taught the law. And the law comes in many varieties uh, of ways. It's not just something we read about in the Bible, but it's, it's something that is embedded in everyone's hearts. And so the law has basically this principle of quid pro quo, do this for that. Other religions may call it karma. You know, you do good, good things come back to you. You do bad, bad things come back to you that way. It's also what Moses taught in Deuteronomy chapter 28 when he warned Israel that disobedience to God's law results in curses. Obedience to God's law results in blessings. This is what Luther was taught and what was stressed to him. What he wasn't taught was the gospel. That in addition to the law, there's this other principle. And that's the principle of forgiveness. And while we strive to keep the law, and while, yes, we are always experiencing both the blessings and the curses of the law, those things don't save us. Only the gospel, the work of Christ, His keeping of the law on our behalf, only that gives us forgiveness. Only that will save us. You see, we are, without Christ, indeed, slaves to sin, as Jesus warned in John chapter 8. Think about it this way, a prison. And this prison has a warden, it has guards, and it has prisoners. And all of these guys are in cahoots with one another, and they all believe in this principle of the law, and they don't want anybody to know about forgiveness or freedom or the way to get out of that prison. And so God sends his son, Jesus, into the prison. He's not committed any crime, and he is not under any curse in that sense at all. He shouldn't even be in that prison, but he is there. And as he arrives and as he begins living the perfect life and proclaiming the perfect love of God and the forgiveness of sins, 
immediately he receives the fury and the hatred of the warden, of the guards, and of all those other prisoners who presume to be a god unto themselves. And for them it's an offense to be told they need to repent of their sins. That leads to his crucifixion. But they did not know either the power or indeed the love of God and how Jesus did that all for us so that our sins could be forgiven, that we in his death and resurrection would receive pardon or the forgiveness of our sins. As he walked out of the tomb on Easter morning, so in our baptisms we walk out of that prison. And we have sealed upon us the name of God as the guarantee of that in the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Luther's day, the the freedom of forgiveness changed everything for his life. And he had before that done lots of good works, but they were always done in fear. And, And that's the way people still, who think they are a God unto themselves, that's what they still do. I mean, either they do them in fear, like, I've got to try harder, I've got to be better, or they do them in pride. And pride doesn't so much focus on doing things better. Pride always asks the question, well, what's the least I have to do? What's the least that I have to do? Neither way results in joy. Neither way results in happiness at all. Moses taught the curses and the blessings of the law indeed, but he also said there was a greater prophet coming. And that greater prophet can be none other than Jesus. And together we have those keys of the law and the gospel that unlock us from the spiritual prison that we're all in by nature. So that's our freedom. Let's talk a little bit about what it means to use that freedom and how do we use that freedom in our day today. Luther, when he began to preach forgiveness, a message which was, very, was being very suppressed in the church in his day, he blew up the Roman system of penance, which was raking in a lot of money. Last summer, my family and I went on a trip to Germany, and I was driving our rental car from Berlin to Wittenberg. On the way to Wittenberg, I saw a sign of a town. I knew about this sign, Uterborg, Uterborg. I, I didn't go to visit it this time because we didn't have time, but next time I go, I want to go back and visit that town. Because in that town of Uteborg, there's a church, St. Nicholas Church. And in that church, there is the very box that Johann Tetzel used to collect the money from everybody, buying the indulgences, which Rome said promised them the forgiveness of sins, the remediation of the punishments for their sins. The gospel changed all of that, and as it was placed back on the throne of all theology and preaching, that whole system went away, which now raises another question. What is our situation? We're not worried about these teachings of medieval theologians anymore. Uh, If Luther were to write the 95 Theses for today, what would he write? And I think the best way to get at that is to ask ourselves another question. What is it that prevents people from falling on their knees in repentance and trusting in all their heart and their soul in the forgiveness in Jesus won for them in his life and death and resurrection? 
In Luther's day, that was being suppressed because the people didn't even really know about the forgiveness of their sins. Well, people do know about the forgiveness of sins now, but still they're not repenting and they're not seeking forgiveness. And that's because today, not only the gospel is being suppressed, not by the, so much by the church, but by the world, and not only the, the gospel, but even the law is being suppressed. And the truth of God's word is constantly being replaced by pseudoscience, by diversities of lifestyles, by a libertinism that obviously anyone can see is absolutely leading to forms of insanity as people want to be free from everything, want to be free from God himself. And it goes back to the old problem that I mentioned earlier. They think they are a God unto themselves. They don't even believe there are sins anymore, so it's an offense to them to even say that they need to be repentant. This is also filtering into many churches today. Because of COVID, so many sermons have gone online, and I'm able to listen to a lot of them, and I'm shocked from what I hear, and actually from what I don't hear. Just as in Luther's day, people didn't hear the gospel, you know what people are not hearing today? They're not hearing about sin. There are many sermons being preached today where that word is carefully not used at all. What I hear instead are, well, we've got problems. We've got mistakes that we've made. We're in situations. We have circumstances. And you see, Jesus in that context is really being turned into a coach who is there to encourage you to make changes in your life that will make your life better. Jesus did not get crucified for preaching that message. Jesus is the Christ who came to give his holy life for our unholy lives. So the suppression of law, the suppression of the idea of sin itself is really the travesty that we are facing in the world today. John chapter 8 is, uh, John chapter 7 and 8 is when Jesus went to Jerusalem for something called the Festival of Tabernacles. It was a really big, big festival in the Jewish faith at that time. It still is, really, for many people. It's a big celebration. People are coming together. They're hearing all kinds of messages and preaching and teaching and so on in the temple. And this is where Jesus really reveals himself as the Son of God and the Messiah. This is where he says he is the living water. This is where he says he is the light of the world. This is the place where he says, before Abraham was, I am. And so also in his day as today, people didn't want to hear his call to repentance. They didn't want to hear them being called sinners. And so the very last verse of John chapter 8, the very last phrase that comes out of his entire experience at that Feast of Tabernacles was this. So they picked up stones to, th to throw at him. When Luther argued for the gospel, the fury of Rome and of the empire fell upon him. And he gave this most famous speech before the emperor Charles V. Let me read just the last paragraph this evening. Since your most serene majesty and your highnesses require me a simple, clear, and direct answer, they were calling him to repent of all that he had written about forgiveness. 
He said, I will give one, and it is this. I cannot submit my faith either to the Pope or to the Council because it is clear that they have fallen into error and even into inconsistency with themselves. If then I am not convinced by proof from Holy Scripture or by cogent reasons, if I am not satisfied by the very text I have cited, and if my judgment is not in this way brought into subjection to God's Word, I neither can nor will retract anything. For I cannot be either safe or honest. It cannot be safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. God help me. Amen. Today we need to be able to give a similar speech. But this is a speech not to the Pope or councils. Those are uh, not the real issue today. But this is a speech that goes out to, in fact, all of the world. A world that demands people stop preaching both the law and the gospel on the penalty of hatred, mockery, doxing, cancellation, prosecution, persecution, and eventually, I think, even death. The last paragraph of our speech might go something like this. It is not safe or honest for a Christian to speak against his own conscience and the Word of God in Christ. Here we stand. We cannot do otherwise. God help us. Amen. Please rise.